Welcome, and if you didn't know, I've had two months off, and I guess I just wanted to start by saying a huge thank you. Most of you probably were oblivious to the fact I was off, but I'm really grateful to have two months of praying and resting and recharging and spending time with God, and it's been great to be back and just really step into what God's got for us in this season. The highlight of the two months was most definitely being in Cafe Nero and on my laptop, and you know, that absolute classic tune from the 90s, I think it is, you know, Father, we glorify. Sounds just like that, probably not quite as good, but that absolute belt of a tune. Well, that was going through my headphones and was coming through in Cafe Nero, and I was kind of, you know, just nodding my head because that's what cool people do at cafes, listen to 90s worship songs. What I didn't realize was it wasn't coming through my earphones, it was coming through a laptop. So everyone was like staring at me, like, what on earth is this guy doing? And I was there for another half hour, and everyone there became a Christian, obviously, because of that 90s worship song. But that was a real highlight. But it really is great to be back. And we are in a series on calling. Steve kicked it off last Sunday, and we're just doing three weeks. And I wrote this series, and I have to say, I wrote it before I went away. And I've come back thinking it's not really about calling, but hopefully it's helpful. But what we want to do particularly tonight is think about what it looks like to be increasingly dependent upon God. And as we step into his presence and step into dependency in him, then work out how his heart is for us to be called into what he's got for us. What is our posture so we would step into stuff and be open to being used by God. So that's what I really want to look at tonight. What does it look like to be dependent on Jesus, to be disciples who are dependent on Christ? And I want to pray because I'm aware that the difference between tonight and a fringe festival or a fringe show is that we actually believe that God wants to speak to us. And you might be someone who hasn't been to church for ages or wouldn't even call himself a Christian. You might be going to church for many years. But we're here not wasting our time just for the sake of it, but believing God wants to speak to us. And what is our posture of open hearts and minds expecting to hear from God through the worship, through the teaching, and through the ministry? Not about anything I say, but about God wanting to speak to us as individuals in a church. So let's pray. You might even want to put your hands out as a sign of being open to what God might want to say to us tonight. Father, we come before you. And I simply pray that your word would speak life and hope and truth into people's lives tonight. I pray that where people need to be challenged and stretched, that that would occur. But equally, when we need to be encouraged, affirmed, and strengthened, that would also be the case. I pray all of us would just get something from tonight in terms of you just speaking to our hearts and minds, speaking new, fresh hope and truth. And for those of us who are weary, who are discouraged, who frankly don't even want to be here, I pray that they would just get a real sense of your presence tonight. And they would leave different. I pray all of us would leave this building different because we've met with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in tonight, 2 Corinthians. We're looking at a fairly healthy passage of scripture. And Paul the Apostle wrote this after planting the church. And he's planted the church. He's planted many churches. And he's not really happy with some of the things they're doing. So broadly speaking, 2 Corinthians is in kind of three sections. The first section is really around reconciliation. It's around the fact that because we've been reconciled to a relationship with God, he wants to reconcile us to him and also have a reconciliation at the heart of the church community. And the middle section is really around generosity, how we're called to be increasingly generous people. We are, as we said in that video, we believe that God blesses us so abundantly and we want to be generous and really 
just looking out for one another in the way we look after each other and look after the needs of one another. What we are on today is really the third section where Paul won't let it go after his first letter because a key part of 2 Corinthians is saying, actually, these super apostles, these leaders who are leading you astray, aren't the real deal. What is the root of your discipleship? What is at the heart of following Jesus? He's challenging their discipleship. He's challenging them, saying, what is it that you're rooting and building your life on? What is your faith founded upon? So it's a lengthy passage. I don't want to apologize for that, but just bear with us, and it'll be on the screen. If you've got a Bible, of course, feel free to open it up. But we're in 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 16. 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 16. I'm going to just point out one or two things on the way through as well. We're from 2 Corinthians 11, 16 to midway through chapter 12. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confidence boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. So just pause here. So Paul is trying to defend himself against these key leaders. And he's playing it with a game. He doesn't particularly want to do this. But he's actually saying that the Hebrews, who was considered the most dominant of races, he's saying, I've got the purer Hebrews race. He's saying that the most pure of faith, which was the Israelites, I'm too an Israelite. And the Abraham line, which was promised the exclusive blessing, he's saying, I'm part of that line. I'm part of the line of Jesus, of Abraham. So that's what he's trying to do, defend himself. Verse 23. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. We can summarize by saying he's been in danger. Verse 27. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Now, just pause there. This is just an interesting fact. They were so desperate to kind of contain him in this city, and they had the highest security. And just to give you a picture here, the walls of the city were the first line of attack. So they were defending the city and the desire would be that the first person over the wall would get in and the other people would follow. And the reason that's important is because if you did that, you were first in and you'd capture and invade the city. And you actually got the kind of equivalent of Victoria Cross, I think it's called a Corona Morales, if you were first into the city. Because as you climbed the ladder and got into the city, 
The people come after you and effectively you capture the city. And as you were climbing the ladder, they were trying to push the ladder over, they were pouring hot water on you, they were firing arrows with fire on them, all that kind of nice stuff, and they were desperate to put it out. So security was utmost. And Paul is saying, I actually escaped from this city. He's saying, somehow I got past the walls because my God is with me. That's really significant. He's saying, even in this crazy level of security, my God freed me. My God was with me. And it was like kind of quite a heroic thing that happened here. Not because of what he did, but because God freed him. Chapter 12. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or outer body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what I want to do for a few moments is just ask us some questions around our walk with Jesus, around our discipleship. And the first question I'll ask you is, what is at the foundation of your walk with Jesus? What is at the foundation of your discipleship? And we see the strength and the depth of Paul's walk with Jesus in this passage. He persevered for the sake of Jesus. He kept going. His faith was deep-rooted. All these trials and tribulations, he kept going. William Carey was a well-known Baptist minister in the 18th century. He set up mission organizations around the world, excellent preacher, really significant ministry. At the end of his life, they said, what is it that you want to be remembered by? What is your kind of secret? What is the gift that you had that we can learn from? He said it was the gift of plodding, the gift of putting one step in front of the other, the gift of keeping going. Is that how your discipleship would be described, that gift of plodding, to keep going even when it's hard? How we need to be a church who keep on plodding through the tough times, through the challenges that we face. Because Paul's speaking against these super apostles who don't have that attribute, who fled when it was difficult, who fled when it was too tough, who were fashionable, articulate, good-looking, we know from other accounts, they were really appealing, but they taught a false and comfortable gospel. Paul, on the other hand, came in comparison to be quite insignificant. It said that he wasn't particularly attractive. He's described as having bandy legs, beetle eyebrows, and bald. I actually drew a picture of this this morning. This is brilliant. This is the highlight of my life. So have a look at this. Look at that. That's pretty good. So you've got his, his bald patch at the top. His mono, he has a monobrow, apparently and bandy legs, and apparently always wore a t-shirt saying, I love Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's move on from that. But that's kind of him. He, he wasn't renowned for his, the way he communicated and the way he related to people. It says throughout the, the, the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians that he wasn't impressive in person or a good speaker. So the Jewish believers were trying to follow these super apostles because they seemed to be more appealing. And what we see with Paul is he's desperate 
to love and serve these people, desperate for them to walk towards Jesus, desperate for them to follow Jesus. We see his love for the church. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he says that he wrote it with anguish and tears. He's, his heart is always for God's people. His heart is always for Jesus. The super apostles are desperate to make it about them. Paul is desperate to make it about Jesus. He's desperately caring for those. And he even says in the passage that we read, his main concern, his main burden amidst all the else that's going on is that the followers wouldn't walk from Jesus. There's a deep love and passion for those individuals. That's what's weighing him down. That's what's causing him to lose sleep. All the hardship, all the persecution, all the difficulty he faced, his main concern, his main worry was for people walking away from Jesus. So what he does here is he tries to convince them that it's about Jesus. Not about him, not about the super apostles. It's about following Jesus. And we see in the passage that we read in chapter 12 that he's desperate not to make it about him, so much so that because we see in the book of Acts that he actually met Jesus firsthand, he actually had a revelation encounter Jesus. When he describes it in the letter we just read, he talks about it in the third person because he doesn't want it to be about him. It's not even about him because it's about an encounter with Jesus. He's trying to glorify Jesus, but he's desperate to make it about Jesus. And his boasting in his weakness and his difficulties is, of course, being sarcastic. He's meeting him halfway, saying, look, you're boasting, you're saying about all the attributes these super apostles have, but you're missing the point. The strength is in the grace, the strength is in Jesus. He's making a mockery of their boasting. We see a deep humility to Paul. We see a deep desire for people to come to know Jesus. You may or may not know this, but even his name change that we see in the journey of the early church in the book of Acts was from Saul to Paul. And Saul was named after the Old Testament character which was named for stature and power and authority. But Paul, in the time of his writing, was known for insignificant and small, called to a life of humility, called to a life of pointing people towards Jesus. And you might be reading a passage like that and thinking, yeah, but we don't have these super apostles. What does that say to us today? This is so irrelevant. It's such a different culture. But I actually think it's a really key passage for us as we think about our discipleship. Because notice in this passage, Paul isn't challenging the super apostles. He's challenging the followers. Of course, he doesn't agree with what the super apostles are doing, but actually he's challenging the followers. He's challenging us, saying, what is your walk with Jesus built upon? He's challenging the depth of their discipleship so they can keep persevering, they can keep plodding on, they can keep going when the going gets tough. Big question, but what is your discipleship? What is your walk with Jesus founded upon? Because the truth is, in the last few years, we've seen many of the key cornerstones of our lives taken back, which affects our discipleship. So many of the things that we've seen and experienced in the last few years have shaken our walk with Jesus. You struggle to meet anyone, really, who's not been impacted fairly severely in the last few years. The pandemic and all its associated challenges. I remember someone saying to me in the height of the pandemic that you'll see lots of ripple effects. The, the real pains and struggles will be much more tantamount and obvious once we're through. And I thought forget it. Once the lockdown's through, it will be okay. And we're seeing that, right? We're seeing stuff come to the surface. We're seeing the kind of tornado effect and the ripples coming from that. The war in Ukraine, the situation in politics, the financial climate, leaders within and outside the church who aren't quite cutting it. So much of trust and stability that we place in these individuals isn't quite cutting it. 
And how do we respond? We're aware that we're used to having the answers, particularly in an academic city like Edinburgh, where we're used to working our way through. We're struggling to work out how do we find the pathway out? We're so used to having the answers, but we're oblivious. We're confused. How do we work forward? How do we as a church move forward? How do we as disciples and Christians navigate the way forward? It's really hard to plan. For many of you in business, you'll know that a few years back, it was quite common to have five, ten-year strategies but Apple have led the way as of other companies because now it's three to six month plans because it feels impossible to plan for longer. And that reflects how we do discipleship, that reflects how we do life because we're struggling to work the way forward. So much of what is steadfast and secure that was rooted in our faith as part of our faith has been taken away and we've realized the fragility of our discipleship. So what is your discipleship based upon? What is mine founded upon? Is it upon others? Is it financial security? Is it living in peacetime? Paul was able to live solely for Jesus. He wasn't Jesus plus. It was solely for Jesus. What are the things that have been entwined with our relationship with Jesus? And actually we need to recognize and pray into that actually these would be kind of worked through and prayed through so we live solely for Jesus, not Jesus plus. Jesus at the heart of our discipleship. Jesus at the foundation of our walk with him. What is at the foundation of our discipleship? Because what I want to suggest tonight is that we need to be increasingly dependent upon him. As we kind of allow these different things to not prove true or safe or secure, what we need to do is step into being increasingly dependent on God. As a staff team and some of the elders, we've been reading a book called Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers. And I found it really helpful because he talks about the situation we are in as a culture and as a society and particularly into the church. And he says that in a church situation, we're kind of in this wilderness experience because we're in this gray zone where we can't see the fog in front of us. We can't see what's going on. We can't navigate the way forward. Because we look backwards, we want to step backwards and use old models, old ways of doing things, but they don't seem to quite cut it. They don't seem to be appropriate for a way forward. But then we want to step forward, but none of us can say with any clarity what we're stepping into. So we're not sure whether we step forward into the unknowns or step back into your models. We're kind of stuck in this limbo land, this middle land. We're trying to work out how do we navigate the gray zone. And what he says through looking at scripture and through looking at history, he says that actually this gray zone This place of wilderness is actually the most secure place because we step into dependency on God. We root our faith in Jesus when all the other distractions have gone away, when so much of our security has collapsed. We turn to Jesus and we look to Jesus and depend on him. When we feel lost, disorientated and confused, we look to Jesus. We are increasingly trying to be dependent on Christ. And this is what we see in Paul. When we get see in the passage we've just read, all he went through for the gospel, he arguably went through more anyone before or since. The shipwrecks, the whippings, the torture, the beatings, the imprisonments, the betrayals, the hard times he went through. This deepened his relationship with Jesus and strengthened his faith. And this doesn't mean that hard times aren't hard. We know many of us can talk firsthand about difficult situations. We can talk about the really brutal, hard times we face. But we have a choice to step towards Jesus, to be increasingly dependent on him, or to step away. These opportunities in the wilderness are actually a place to say, actually, God, I want to press into you more, because that's where hope and blessing and joy and peace is found. 
It doesn't mean it's easy, but I turn to you because my distractions are falling apart. I want to have a refined relationship with you. And I wonder, as I was thinking about this passage, one of the things that we need to think about as we go into this is how do we become increasingly vulnerable? Because vulnerability leads to dependency. And what I mean by that is, when we look at this passage, we see that Paul was describing himself as naked. And for those of you who are trying to think of Paul, this monobrow guy, bandy-legged guy, kind of bald-headed, naked, then get out the gutter, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But as I was praying, I wondered if God was actually saying that when we think about nakedness, we think about that vulnerability, that exposure, when the different layers of protection have been taken away, it forces us to be increasingly dependent. Because from that place of vulnerability comes dependency. It's like a child in all its vulnerability as a baby. It depends on a parent. It needs its parent for everything. That vulnerability leads to dependency. For many of us, we struggle with that because we don't want to be vulnerable with others. We don't want to depend on others, and that transfers into how we relate to God. Because we don't want to be vulnerable with one another and dependent upon one another, we don't want to be vulnerable and dependent before God. It's madness when you think about it. God who knows everything, we don't want to be open before him, but he's calling us to increasing vulnerability and dependency upon him. I don't want to suggest for a second that God has caused all that's happened over the last few years or that he sit back and enjoys it. But he has allowed it. And I wonder if one of the main reasons he's allowed it is because he wants us to be increasingly dependent upon him. To trust him for the future, to trust him, to be increasingly vulnerable and dependent. Because in chapter 12, we finish with that really rich piece of scripture where he says, his strength is in my weakness. His grace is sufficient, Christ within me. It's all about Jesus. He boasts not in his own strength, his own superiority, but his relationship with Jesus. And notice how in this passage, God doesn't say, you've got this difficult situation, in five years it will be okay. You're going through this hardship, but it will be okay, just give me a few weeks to sort it out. He says, my grace is sufficient. He basically says, trust me, I've got what it takes. And that's what he's saying to us tonight, my grace is sufficient. He doesn't say he'll sort everything, he doesn't say he'll do everything, he just says, trust me, my grace is sufficient. Are we increasingly dependent on God? Are we increasingly stepping into dependency upon him? Where are the areas of our lives where actually we need to give it over to God and be increasingly vulnerable, increasingly dependent upon him? Because what we see is that we want to be living in the power of dependency because this passage is really rich as it comes to its conclusion. Because Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to live, die, resurrect, and ascend to heaven so that we could have a relationship with him. He came to earth so that we could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Because of his grace, because of the undeserved favor, he offers us that eternal life. But grace is both the way to Jesus and the relationship with Jesus, but it's also the way on. We don't stop when we get, commit our lives to Jesus. We live in a place of grace. For those of you who don't know Jesus, we'd love you to chat later with us about what it looks like to be increasingly in relationship with him, what it looks like to open up to a relationship with him. But for those of us who follow Jesus, it's about depending on that grace and living on. Tim Keller says that grace isn't the A to C of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z of the Christian faith. It's everything. It's being increasingly dependent upon him. And as I was preparing, I was thinking, what is the opposite of grace? I was thinking, what is the opposite of this undeserved favor? I wonder if it's entitlement. 
I wonder if it's entitlement where we have this perspective, I deserve this, or I deserve this, this is my rights. And this is something that's rising in society. But I wonder if it's creeping into the church. And even how we relate to God is, well, I deserve this, or I don't deserve this pain and struggle. We're not promised that. We're not promised that we won't go without difficulty. In fact, the reverse is true. We're promised joy, blessing, and goodness within that. We enjoy, we're promised hope to, as we turn to him, but we're not promised a life without struggle. While it's complex, I wonder if this rise in entitlement outside in society is coming into the church and is leading to a decreased dependency upon him. Because if we step into grace, we see something really significant in this passage. Paul, as we looked at in 2 Corinthians 12, he uses something called identical parallelism, which is a type of poetry which was particularly common in this time of writing. And the reason I mention that is because he uses grace and power interchangeably. And that's really significant because what he's saying is the increasing amount of grace that you step into is the increasing amount of power that the Holy Spirit moves within. Grace and the powers of the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. I wonder if as a church God's calling us into an increased dependency so there'll be increased power. As we step into that grace, as we step into that place of vulnerability, there'll be an increasing dependency and therefore an increased power of the Holy Spirit working in and through his people. And for some of us who don't know Jesus, the first step might be getting to know him because we're not going to put our life into someone and give everything to someone we don't trust. We have to get to know Jesus in order to trust him, to lay everything into him and to build our life and to live in that place of dependency and power. Others of us perhaps tonight need to say, I'm just going to recommit because I've drifted, I've become lukewarm in my faith and I want to step into that place of grace because that's the place of power and authority. What does it look like for us to be people saying, God, I want to increasingly lean into you. I want to increasingly trust you. I want to increasingly develop my relationship with you. In the 20th century, a really key leader called David Watson said of the UK church, he said, if you look at the book of Acts, which is a story of the early church, he says, if you take the Holy Spirit out of the book of Acts, 95% of what you see wouldn't happen. 95% 95% of the activity and the miracles and the healings wouldn't happen. It's all dependent on the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the UK church and take away the Holy Spirit, 95% of your activity will still keep on going. What a challenge, right? Is that different today? Is that different here at Central? Is that different here in the UK? I wonder if this is a time where God is stripping back some of the trimming, some of the fluff that has distracted us. Some of the stuff of the super apostles that is getting in the way of our discipleship. As we look to the future, none of us can say with certainty and clarity what we're called into, but we're called to be increasingly dependent because that is the safest place to be. That's the most fruitful place to be. It's the most powerful place to be. In these times, we have a choice to step towards Jesus or a step to walk away. But the grace and power is always as we step towards him. You might be feeling overwhelmed by that. You might be thinking, well, how on earth can I do that? I'm tired, I'm shattered. Or I don't have the gifts, I don't have the skills. What on earth can I do? I feel burdened by what you've just shared. My faith is rocking and certain. I'm not even sure I call myself a Christian because of how the last few years have affected my walk with Jesus. But what this passage makes really clear is the fact that when we step towards Jesus, it's in our brokenness and vulnerability that he works. So that's exactly the right place you should be. That's the place he wants you because in the brokenness and the neediness, in the 
sense of feeling overwhelmed, there's a sense of stepping towards the grace and dependency of Jesus. No one is disqualified. No one is not able. In fact, the place of vulnerability is the place of power as we step into a dependency. As a church, we want to be individuals and church communities look towards Jesus for vision, for power, for direction, for where he's calling us into. And in this calling series, which again is a bit of a vague and tenuous link, so apologies, I wonder if God is calling us to be increasingly dependent on him to show us the way forward. He wants to use our unique giftings and talents. He wants to work in and through his people. He wants to work alongside us. But he wants us to do it from saying, actually, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about stepping towards you. It's all about your grace and your power. One of the things that God has constantly challenged me about is the fact that my walk with Jesus can very easily be I kind of get up and go through my day and have a meeting which is tricky and say, God, God, I really need to help you with that meeting. And God helps me out. I mean, I kind of push God aside. And then I come to a situation that needs prayer. You know, perhaps it's someone's not very well. And I pray, Lord, come and help this person. Come and heal this person. And God helps that person or heals them. And then I kind of forget about him. And then in the evening, kind of, I need help parenting or whatever it is. And God, come and help me. But I wonder if God's calling me and us into that place at the start of say, God, God, where are we going to go today? God, where is our adventure going to take us? God, what does it look like for me to partner with you, to depend on your grace and your power? What does it look like for me to say, what are, I'm available, I'm surrendered to you, I want to follow you wherever you will take me? That's way more exciting than trying to fit him into my life. Working around his plans is way more of an adventure. As we look to our financial situation at home, as we look to the direction of this church, as we look to impact the city, as we look to plant churches, as we look to do this different stuff and to be called to be more like the early church, dependency is everything. Amazing things can happen, not because of our gifting, although God wants to use them, it's because dependency and grace stepping into him. I heard a talk by a guy called Mike Pilavachi recently, and he said... Be very nervous if all your plans and prayers make sense. I was challenged by that. Are my prayers, are my dreams, are my visions ones that make human sense, that add up financially, ones where the strategy lines up? Because that's not stepping into grace and power. Of course, that will happen sometimes. But actually, you want to be stepping into stuff that is impossible without God. Stepping into stuff that only can be attributed to the power and grace of God. We've got this crazy dream as a church to impact the city, to plant churches, to see a nation change. We want to do all we can to serve the people of this nation in this time. But that's not going to be about our gifting and our clever ideas and our strategy and our budget. That's going to be about being increasingly dependent upon Jesus. I've covered a lot tonight. My mother-in-law said too much, but that's up to her. But I want to pray for us, and I'm going to hand back to Connor in a moment. I want to pray for us. I wonder if you're able, if you'd stand. And I'm just going to give you 30 seconds or so just to, to ask God in your heart and mind, what is it that he wants to say to you particularly tonight? What is it that he's prompting and nudging within you? Just ask him, what is it? of this passage that he wants to just challenge you and provoke you in this evening.
Father, you have every one of us here tonight for a reason. It's not accident that people are here. And for anyone who is just desperate to know you deeper but is really struggling to believe you even exist, I pray that they would meet with you in a powerful and fresh way tonight. For anyone whose life is just really hard, perhaps even no one else in this room knows that, I pray that they would know that your grace is sufficient to carry them through this week and whatever they face. But for all of us, where you want to encourage us and stretch us to be increasingly dependent upon you, I pray that we'd be open to that. We thank you that your grace is such that you don't ask us to sort everything out overnight. You, you, you kindly journey with us bit by bit. You don't expect us to have everything sorted in one go. But where you want to allow us to look and act and live more like you, I pray that we would just be open to being vulnerable and dependent upon you within that. Jesus, just come. Holy Spirit, just come. Have your way amongst us. Affirm us, encourage us when we need just that reassurance. That comfort, I pray that that would be very real just now. Amen.